Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Curtis Malifsta. Like, like one issue that I think is a really easy example is like, you know, Canada, the churches in Canada have a long history, especially our church at Willoughby had a long history of welcoming refugees into the country and sponsoring refugees from different parts of the world. And that was a really passionate part of our ministry. There was a ton of money that flow, flowed through our church for that. And we had dedicated people who, you know, learned the systems of the immigration and refugee systems to get people in here and support them, care for them, get them integrated into community, make sure they had a place to live, all the stuff. But the people that did that were on the left-leaning side of the aisle. And while a lot of people generally supported the work of refugee resettlement, um, it's a bit more of a left-leaning type of work, kind of culturally. Um, and so those types of people would attend there. So I had people who were a bit more on the conservative end of the spectrum, not wanting to really, as much as they might, as much as they would, you know, throw their a few dollars in the collection when it would come through on on those on Refugee Sunday or what have you. They didn't want to get involved with that group of people because it's like I don't want to be associated with that kind of that congregation within our church because they're the ones who are pushing certain agendas, causing problems. They're the ones who are nitpicking our pastor's sermons. They're the ones who are, you know, trying to politic and make sure they've always got one of their little, one of their friends on the council table, like those sorts of things. Right. And now, you know, everybody is guilty of kind of all of those things across the political spectrum. I don't want to pretend that like, you know, one certain ideological faction is more, you know, strategic than the other if to put it th- to put it that way but it, it just became this growing divide that happened that was that was already there before i got there um and and it and it just slowly burned and bubbled until you know it blew up and in the space of six months they lost their senior pastor and their youth pastor mm-hmm. basically because of the same issues yeah right cool. and and with that like you know 30, 40%, maybe more of their membership. Mm. Yeah, like serious. And 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 my role in, as youth minister 
was like, I have my convictions, you know, yeah. of what the Bible teaches about sexuality. The families that had their kids at youth ministry, at the youth ministry programs were, you know, generally conservative people. Like, you know, there's a reason they're at a confessional reform church, you know, and not at the United church down the street. Um, so like, it, it almost felt like I had my own little world of church ministry and then another demographic had their own other world of church ministry. And like the two didn't meet yeah. and that, and like, that's just not healthy. Like no matter which way you look at it, because like they're united around some things, we're united around other things and we're pretending to be united around our confessions. But if you really, if you want to dig into what does the Bible say about it, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Right. And bless his heart. Ed tried to like, he preached sermon series on this. Right. And, and, you know, very pastorally tried to work people through the biblical text on what it like, you know, what is God's design for our bodies? Right. Why do our bodies, our physical bodies matter and how we treat them and what we do with them. Um, and it just like, it just, like, I guess eventually it didn't really work. It worked for some people, but not for the church on the whole. Yeah. Well, and just uh, just how you described what was going on in, in your congregation, I think is a like a microcosm of what's going on in the Christian Reformed Church as well, right? You can see, oh yeah, um, you know, you can see like some of the frustrations with what's happening with the Office of Social Justice and all of that, yeah. and people are saying, "Whoa, is the, where? Why is our money going to this? Is this really the mission of the church or or not?" Right? Yeah, and, uh, well, and, and like and people started asking questions, and 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 the questions. You know, and I, and I think there's a lot of people in the church, especially the CRC, who who aren't categorically opposed to the Office of Social Justice, mm-hmm. right? But they're they have questions around what they're doing all the time. But if you question if you question anything, then you're questioning the entire system, right? So, like we had at a congregational meeting once, we had a fellow stand up and ask about why why are we resettling refugees in the second most expensive housing market in Canada? Maybe wouldn't it be better off to be like, you know, since we're on a port city, we we welcome them and then we and then we get them settled into a, a cheaper place to live where we're not we're not paying sixteen hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom apartment with their three kids, right? And they can't find work to pay for it. And that was like, like heaven forbid you ever question anything about it, right? right. And that's like, you know, because because that's it demeans and like the way the way I kind of see it is people's identities would get wrapped up in their social justice work and not in their Christ-like ministry to people, right? The Christ-likeness of their ministry was an aspect, not the defining thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and it, and that's where it comes down really to an identity, to a, a bit like, you know, your biblical theology. What does the Bible say about this? What does it say about who we are? What does it say about what our church ought to be doing? Right. Preaching the gospel is not the most important thing we should be doing. We should be, you know, um, meeting the physical needs of the people around us. And it's like, well, that's part of what we do, but really the most important thing we do is preach the gospel. You know, people's souls are more important than their bodies on an eternal level. Yeah. So, well, and even, uh, oh boy, I I don't want to get too far into this because I've just been, (laughs) I've been just preaching on it though. Right. So I could preach. I've just preached like three messages on this because, you know, going through um, the gospel of John, that's what we're, we're working our way through John. And so we're in John chapter five. Um, well, at the end of John chapter four, Jesus heals the official son, right? Um, from in Capernaum. And then in John chapter five, Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been an invalid for 38 years. And, uh, I think, and I can't, I'm not going to get into all the exegesis here. So if you want to question me, you can, you can question me further later, but, but both of those healings where Jesus heals the official son and he heals the invalid, 
he kind of insinuates through it all, like, I'm going to do the healing, the physical healing, but what really needs to happen is your, you need, you need eternal life. And so yeah. that's why, like, so when he heals the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, later on, he finds the man in the temple and he says, look, you've been healed now go yeah. and sin no more. And yeah. I don't think he's saying that because the man's illness was caused as a result of his sin. I think Jesus is saying, I've healed you physically, but the bigger issue is your soul is dead and your yeah. soul needs to be healed. And I can do that for you too. And sadly that man turned and walked away from him in that moment. And so even Jesus, yeah, he met people's physical needs and that, but, but it was always like the meeting of the physical need was always pointing to the deeper spiritual need. Yes, that he exactly. Was exactly. So, yeah. So, and then, and I see our, my experience at Willoughby to be very much um, a CRC, like a, a microcosm of the Christian Reformed Church, right? So one of the things that I do now is I get to work with the Abide Project. You know, I spend some of my week managing some of the social media stuff and website stuff and administrating the behind the scenes kind of coordination of some of the work of the Abide Project. And that's been a huge blessing. And one of the blessings of that work is getting to network with pastors across the continent and even beyond and to see the church. Because like one thing that I've learned is that Canadian Christian Reformed Church is very different than the American Christian Reformed Church. Um, and, and I didn't really realize how different that was. And I'd been on like mission trips with my youth groups, right. Where you see, you get to hang out with, you know, American Christian form youth groups and Canadian Christian form youth groups. Um, but that doesn't really tell you enough, but talking with like many other pastors, um, you, you see that you see some of those divides, but you also see the general divide around sexuality and, and like this third way, it doesn't work. It's never going to work because like, the best way to the best way to look at it is if you have two elders at a council table and their tasks to go meet with you know a person to for for a, an elder visit and that person's struggling with sexual sin right maybe it's same sex attraction maybe pornography maybe it's adultery right maybe maybe they're in the maybe they're on the start of an affair with somebody right like one of these elders is going to say what you're doing is sinful and one of them's going to say no what you're doing is living out your lived identity and that's fine and you can't have two church leaders telling a, uh, a congregant one, one that their life simultaneously is sinful and, you know, not needing to be repented of like that. Like you're so what, what ends up happening is you just create confusion. People don't want confusion. Mm-hmm. Right. People want clarity and especially more than ever in today's world. People want clarity, especially on these really messy theological issues that we have to navigate every single day of our lives at our schools and our workplaces and wherever. If you're just adding confusion to it, people are just going to leave because yeah. they're going to they're going to go looking for clarity and wherever whatever clarity is offered them, they're going to stick around. So yeah. you're not going to serve you're not going to serve your progressive population because you're confusing it for them. You're not going to conserve your um, conservative congregation or population because you're confusing it for them so the third way is the is the death way yeah. for everybody right? yeah. and for and for the institution yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah you're you're right on the money and you said a line and i feel like i beat this dead horse but i want to tie it in with you because you said people aren't people are looking for clarity right and so somebody said that multiple people said that at synod synod and then um uh, a woman stood up at on the synod floor and said when i'm talking to young people they're not looking for clarity they're looking for belonging what would you what's your response to that kind of a line like 
in some ways, those aren't, those, they're not, they're not that different from each other in the sense that like, you can't belong to someplace unless you have clarity about what that belonging means, right? My kids belong to my family because A, they know that they were born of us and two, that we share a last name and we share a home. There's clarity around that belonging, right? At, in a church level, it's not all that different. What is the belonging nature? It's like, well, we confess the same faith. You know, we use the Apostles' Creed. We have our forms of unity. We participate in worship together. We believe the same things. But when that clarity is not offered, then you're not going to feel like you belong, right? And I, and I think, you know, not to really hit a lightning rod, but you saw that in COVID so mm-hmm. clearly that if you didn't think the right things, you didn't belong. You needed to have clarity on where every single person in any gathered group, whether it was two, three, or a hundred, you need to have clarity on where they stood on certain COVID issues. Uh, if you wanted to feel like you belong or you felt like an outsider. A hundred percent that you nailed it. Right. right on the- so yeah. like, it's, it's not that different. No. And I, I would submit the question, how can one know what they belong to without knowing what it is that they're subscribing to. I mean, yeah. I want to, I want to belong to X, Y, and Z kind of faction. What does that mean? What, what does that constitute? Do, do those questions mean nothing? I mean, I would ask that to whoever asked that at Synod actually. Well, but and I think, will you see that on, on the cultural scale, like on mass in That's the right. sense, like, you know, everybody's old tweets and articles get dug up because we want that. We want everybody to belong to certain camps. And if you ever say anything out, oh, if, if, if it's not, if it's not 100% perfectly clear that you are, uh, that you aren't in that camp, then you're not in that camp. Right. You could say I'm a conservative, but if you made a liberal tweet 10 years ago, there you're like, you're done. Right. Yeah, or or right. whatever it is. And I think on a, on a, on a ministry level, especially on a youth ministry level, like you have a duty to your students. And I, I think this is true on a pastoral level to your congregants to provide clarity where there is confusion. And if you're, if you're creating confusion where there ought, where there could be clarity, you're serving nobody. And that's the role of an educator, right. Is to make the implicit explicit. Like I, I had a conversation with a, with a, with a young woman, she's a youth youth leader at the another local church here and she was asking me about like going to going to the going to a conference you know um youth for christ is putting on this conference lecrae is going to be there a bunch of other people and like it's generally fine you know i not a big fan of it it's not quite reformed enough for me but i'm a little bit of an outlier in that regard in my some of my contexts um but i said like you just got to ask yourself is this going to create confusion like going to a worship conference that's put on by hillsong young and free is that going to create more confusion for your students who are used to worshiping in a small local reform congregation. And now the confusion might be worth it in the sense that confusion gives you a, gives you an opportunity to provide clarity afterwards and it can be educational, but if, unless you're willing to provide that clarity, you can't like you're, you're, you're actually, you're doing a disservice to your students by leaving them confused. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I've been thinking about this recently, just, I've, I've been doing some pastoral care with, uh, a man in my church who's been having some medical issues, um, been having some chest pains and fainting spells. And uh, he keeps going to the doctor and the doctor says, we don't know what's going on. We have no idea what's going on. And so here he's sitting in the midst of confusion over the struggle of his body, what's going on. And he's, he's not saying, Oh, it's great. Let me just live in the tension of this confusion. He's saying, I need to find someone who can find clarity so that I can be healed. 
that's, you know, I, I need clarity. I, I don't, I find zero comfort in doctors who don't, who lack clarity. And, uh, and what's interesting is there's a movement and I think it's a right movement in a lot of ways where pastors are being called like physicians of the soul and stuff like that. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're people who are, who are working with people kind of working with their soul in a different way. And uh, nobody wants a doctor who doesn't have clarity on, on how you bring about healing. And so, um, and, and actually lack of clarity, and this is the point I keep trying to make lack of clarity is um, non-pastoral and it actually leaves people hanging in the lurch, just suffering. And you don't, you don't go anywhere with that. Well, and and I think this, there's also the tension between like the institutional and the relational Right. So like when you're when you're pastoring somebody, ministering to a person on an individual level, there's always going to be confusion. Right. That's the nature of of life, of the Christian life is the confusion of trying to understand how, you know, the, uh, understand the desires of your flesh and, you know, the Lord's will for your life and try to figure it, figure out that figure that out. That's why sermons, you know, typically have an, have an application part of them because we, we add, we, we create some theological clarity on a scriptural text. And then we say, and this is how you live that out. Like clearly, we're not going to leave you in, in a messy thing of saying, this is what the Lord says. And I don't know, go figure it out. It's not my, like, that's your job. Right. Maybe you do that in youth ministry, but. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I had people right. <laughs> come along and provide that clarity, Curtis. Exactly. But exactly. Right. It's like, but on an institutional level, like on a synodical level, when you're talking about it, right. Like, like the synod makes decisions that are going to impact the ministry of congregations across North America and beyond. Cause we have, you know, ecumenical partnerships. Um, but that's where like, that's where you, like you need to kind of, to a degree, void the relational mess of some of these decisions because that's the work of pastors and elders and deacons and parishioners to go and, and sort out that messy part of the relational and the confusion and the clarity. And the synod should be providing the clarity so that way pastors have a direction on this is this is how you go to achieve that clarity. This is the path you go down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, because a lot of people have said, man, if Synod keeps doubling down, right? I heard a lot of people say, man, Synod made some clear decisions in Synod 2022. They've just created a mess by that. And there's a lot of different ways to answer that. One, it, I think it just revealed the mess that was already there yeah. on the one hand. And two, yes, but it also provided clarity on now Now go figure out how to work in this direction. Um, and, and it will get messy. It, everything's always messy. And so, you know, information's always messy. It is. I wonder, I wonder why we would think of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and so like, if, you know, people are saying, man, if Synod 2023 doubles down on this again and decides to, to discipline Neeland and, you know, or what is that even going to look like to discipline Neeland or to discipline even an entire classes? Right. Um, What is that going to look like? That's going to be a mess. And it's like, yes, but Synod still needs to make a decision. And then the messiness is carrying that out, trying to figure out how to enact those things. But, but you can't even figure out what direction to head unless someone has set the direction for you and said, here's where we're going now. Um, Figure out how to get there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Amen. So Curtis, I just amend myself. What the heck is that? (laughs) (laughs) Curtis, what, what, uh, 
you know, do you think, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about, you had, you had mentioned, you know, in, in the midst of the, the turmoil there, um, you know, a, a bunch of people ended up leaving. Do you think if the CRC continues to try to go down this third way, you said, you know, the third way is the way of death. Um, do you see that working itself out in the Christian Reformed Church as well? Oh, I think so. Like, I even just on a personal level, right? Like, I'm sitting here at kind of the genesis of my, in some ways, like a second genesis of my pastoral career, right? Like, I I was raised, you know, in most most of my life in the Christian Reformed Church, right? I came of age in the Christian Reformed Church. I served in Christian Reformed churches, right? And here I'm now going to the Christian Reformed Seminary. That was an intentional decision to go to the mm-hmm. Christian Reformed Seminary. I looked at other ones and I went, no, actually, Calvin's the place I want to go. Um, and if the denomination were to steer awry on this and not be clear, it'd be a really hard place to be because how am I supposed to do my job in a way, right? Um, Because what what it comes down to is in some ways it's a totalitarian idea, this this human sexuality, because it encompasses everything. Right. Like I, I already feel it. like I'm I'm two weeks. No, I'm I'm starting week three of my studies at Calvin. And I've already written on this, I think, three times in assignments because it's it's just it's it's this big, huge elephant that we're all kind of sitting around. Right. You know, we're talking about, like you know, confessional identity. Right. It's like, well, you know, we probably need something to do with human sexuality, at least to help us correct ourselves. So I, I think you would see if you if the if the CRC doesn't double down on Tinder 2022, whatever, however you want to phrase it, I think you're going to see an exodus because you're going to see progressives not want to be part of it because it's not clear enough for them. And you're going to see, um, you know, conservatives leave because it's not clear enough for them. And and you're already seeing the denominations pop up that you can go to, right? Um, like yeah. People go RCA, people will go whatever ARC or Kingdom Network or, you know, URC or whatever it is. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear. It's not good. It's not it's not going to bode well. Like there's just no way. And I just don't see in general, and this has been my, my plea. Um, I just don't see generally any organization that refuses to take stands on things. They never live. They, they just die because they become irrelevant. And, and, so. and because if you, when you don't take a stand, you are essentially taking a stand. Right. Yeah. And, and I was talking to a pastor who said like after synod, he was, and he he's, you know, conservative. He's part of the Abide Project. Like he's, you know, done things there. And he's like, I don't, I didn't know if I wanted to continue because I'm so tired of the division. Mm-hmm. And like, if, if the CRC maintains this messy, mushy middle, that's what you're going to see is you're going to see people burn out because every single church, well, not every single church, but many churches are just going to be thrown into division on this and, and tumult and everything's going to be messy. And it's, and what, like one of the things that I saw at our, at our, in our context at Willoughby was like, it was so hard to get things off the ground and going, you know, community initiatives, outreach initiatives, because this was always played some sort of character role in the formation of any sort of ministry that you were trying to create, whether it was like, you know, a weekly meal for the community or, you know, a new curriculum program or a podcast ministry or whatever it is. It's always, this was always there. Always, 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 because people were always trying to push and pull each other to try to appease their own convictions. Um, so in some ways, like it, it killed more than it gave life when it came to just like the work of the church. It, and it, and it became like, it was, it was hard to put, it became hard at times to do the very basic 
or the the very routine work of Sunday liturgy ministry off the pulpit, you know, leading worship, because everything gets embroiled into this, right? You can't reference people like Kevin DeYoung because he's a complementarian and he's part of the PCA. You can talk about Vody Bauckham because he's said these things, right? But then if you don't, you don't really want to reference Walter Storff too much because, you know, he's too progressive. Like, so you like, and you have this all the time. There's no, because everything communicates something. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's just not, I, I wouldn't want a pastor in that context. I would if the Lord called me into it again. You know, maybe maybe he's building me up for that. I hope not. Um, but you know, it, it's not a place that you want to be, really. And nor do you like nor do you want to raise your kids there or be there as a family either. Yeah. So yeah, and you're describing again what's been happening in the CRC. I think this is one of the reasons why the CRC has just felt so stagnant for so long, because we can't actually do anything together because we haven't had actual unity. And yeah. so there's this weird tension and pull and we got people trying to head in different directions and we just can't actually do anything. We can't accomplish anything as a denomination. And so like, yeah, this is the way of death. We're, we're on that path right now because we just, we're not actually united. And so, and I, and I, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty convinced if, if, if like Synod 2023 if it starts backtracking on what happened in 2022 or doesn't even continue to move forward and enforce discipline on Neeland or, or Grand Rapids East, I would guess there's going to be at least a 30 to 40% loss of conservative churches in the Christian Reformed church. I would um, think so. I, I would, I, th- I, I would say that would be, an, I would say that would be an immediate loss. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, well, Cause I think you'll, you'll see, you'll see churches like as a church leave and like maintain their status as a church, they'll go join a new denomination, but you also see churches that will die the slower death of like membership exodus. Yeah, that's right. Right. So you're going to see, you're going to see an immediate loss of churches saying, yeah. And like, and Synod will have to deal with that. Right. Like you'll, you'll see church, church relations or classical committees struck to help churches exit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and expedite that process so they can get on with it. Um, but then you'll then you'll see the slower death of churches where it's like people are just slowly leaving and and these churches will be like clawing for some sort of you know help or whatever it is. Yeah, and I think on the other hand, if we if we continue to move forward in the direction that we're heading and say this is who we are, this is where we stand on sexuality, we will lose churches, and that will be hard. Uh, and I don't think any yeah. conservative is like kick them out, good riddance, be done. No, everybody realizes the difficulty of there being a break in this covenant relationship. We all recognize that. This is going to be tough. Yeah. And, and there's well, going to be a messiness and, there too. And it is but- tough. Because one, like, one, one of the great things of the Christian Reformed Church is, as, as, as much as I can criticize like some of the, the top heaviness and the bureaucracy of the CRC, we have a really good system that does a lot of really important gospel ministry across the globe in a way that I I've not seen, especially other reformed denominations due to the same degree as the Christian reformed church, right? Like our ministry shares are that money generally is like, we we probably have questions about how it's all spent, but like generally, like, you know, you won't find anybody who's not in favor of the work of world or new or resonate global mission, right? That they'll have concerns of it or any organization, but generally speaking, right? Like you see that. And like, this is like, I wouldn't, I would not want to lose that. Like leaving, leaving the CRC would mean separating yourself from some of those institutions that you've poured, you know, money in, time in, that you've volunteered with, that you've, you know, 
um, partnered with it. You've cared for mission. You've hosted missionaries on furlough, right? And now they're not going to be part of your kind of covenant community on a kind of larger scale. That would be, that's tragic, terribly tragic. So it which kind of tells you the cost of which, what people are willing to pay for the sake of the truth on this matter. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and that's where, and, and that line right there is exactly where I, I want to hang for a little bit because some people would, you know, they're kind of accusing conservatives of being vindictive and, and all of that and, or not, or being not recognizing the cost. And I think we actually do recognize the cost and it hurts and, and it's yeah. painful, but, but we also feel like it's worse for us to not stand here. It, it's actually going to hurt more. It's going to cause more death, more pain if we don't take a stand here, it's, it, there's going to be bigger ramifications than, than the, the separation of some fellowship here. Well, and I think that the, the, the bigger ramifications are eternal ramifications for, you know, people. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the serious cost of where we're at right now. Right. Um, so like one of the, one of the things, one of the ways that I would talk about this with youth is that like, there's, there's this whole world of like, love is love. Right. And we should just love everybody. And love is a is a horrific word in the English language. It's so poorly used and defined. Um, you know, I wish we had more words for it. But what I would what I would tell my my teenagers was that I think I think the best definition of love that we can really easily understand is that to love somebody means that you want to spend eternity with them, right? That you want to see them in glory, and and you know spend all of eternity with those people that you love, right? That being Jesus, that being other people, other people um, here on earth, and which means sometimes you might have to sacrifice relationship in this life for relationship in the next. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what love is. Love isn't just affirmation for what they're doing now. Love is telling people the truth and doing it in a way that's, you know, calling them to repentance, calling them to a life in Christ that is actually going to, you know, um, answer, answer their fundamental problems really. Cause that's what the gospel really does. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, and that's, so that's the cost is like people are willing to love each other and love people because they, they recognize the cost is going to be really hard in this life. But what, what is it worth? Like, what are you actually, if you're looking at it at a cost, what are you paying for? Right. Yeah. If you're going to have some of this emotional, relational strife, even church conflict stuff, you know, navigating institutions, all this kind of stuff, what, what is, what are you paying for? Well, you're paying for hopefully, you know, people to come to understand who Jesus is, what he's done for them and what he's calling them to in, as, an, as an identity, right? And what does that mean to live as a Christian? Um, and that I think that's what people are willing to pay. Yeah. I'm willing, I'm willing to sacrifice some relationships now for the hope that maybe we can relate with each other in eternity. Amen. 100%. That's, uh, uh, and that's such a good word. And I hope, uh, I don't think a whole lot of, of the progressive side of the CRC listens to this podcast, but if you are and you're doing a little research, I hope you hear that, that that's really the heart behind behind the, the conservative movement. I would say, like, Curtis is not alone in, in making that kind of a statement and having that heart no. behind it. Um, every pastor I talk to, I think every pastor I've ever interviewed on this podcast has that that kind of a heart behind um, what we're what we're hoping to stand for in the Christian Reformed Church. It's not there's nothing vindictive about this, um, but it's a but we're counting a different cost, and we can we 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 can even agree to disagree on whether we're right or you're wrong or whatever. But 
But the fact is, this is why we're, we're taking this stance. And this is why we're, we are willing to, to sacrifice some of this relationship because we see this as like, there are some saying this is a non-salvific matter. And we're saying this is a salvific matter. Yeah, it totally is. And uh, scripture is clear that it's a salvific matter. And so, again, how can we have unity when we don't agree on what's a salvific matter? Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't. And so we we need to come up with a way to just to move forward um, by through some form of gracious separation or a blessing release or whatever kind of a method where we could say we're just not together on this. And uh, we will let you go so that we can both serve in, in good conscience here because that we have to find that way. Otherwise, we are just going to bludgeon each other to death. And, and the whole CRC is going to die over in the middle of this battle. So why not just figure out, like, let's find a way forward. Yeah, I think that's actually, that, that's the key right there. Is like this, we're not serving the institution by continuing this conflict. Yeah. Yeah, if we continue, the longer we continue this conflict, the longer, uh, the you know, the closer the CRC is going to get to death, for sure. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. And I realize it'll be tough. Again, it'll it'll be tough and it'll be messy losing a number of churches, right? And everybody realizes that. And, you know, I've heard some people try to say, like, I don't think you conservatives realize how much money is coming out of Grand Rapids East into the denomination. And conservatives are saying, yeah, we do. We do realize how much money is coming out of Grand Rapids East. But again, we're counting the cost and we're saying, yeah. um, this is, we need to stand here and we'll figure out the mess on the other side of yeah. this. But, um, but I think that what's in the best interest of the CRC as an institution is to, to continue to take this stance and figure out on the way forward. We're going to have to restructure. We're, I mean, there's going to be a restructuring no matter what. There's going to have to be a lowering of the bureaucracy. There's a lot of stuff that's going to have to happen over the next few years, but we can't even have those kind of conversations until we stand firmly here first and find some, some clarity on, on where we're at. Yeah, exactly. So Curtis, we're kind of wrapping up. We're coming to the end of our our interview here. We always give everybody kind of an opportunity to kind of, what are your last words or what are kind of your parting thoughts you want to leave with uh, the listeners of the Messy Reformation? I don't know. I'm just a young seminarian. Um, I th- I think that I think one of the things that like if we want to continue in this way is we need to publish and we need to preach. Maybe in a, maybe in preach and then publish. Um, Right. Like the CRC, one of the things that that I've lamented, especially as as a person who in ministry relies on curriculum and published works, is that like our denomination has dropped the ball when it comes to producing producing content. Um, and which means that like our ministries are not receiving reformed confessional um curriculum unless they have somebody pretty much developing and or you're using something from the 80s. And you can, but it's hard, you know, in today's world to to update some of that stuff in terms of its mode. Um, but I think that's that's key. It's like the CRC needs to publish um, books. They need to publish curriculum. They need to get back on the Faith Alive train and do that do that work because we're seriously failing. And it's no wonder that um, some of our some of the concerns are around catechesis because we're not offering it. Um, and and I think the other thing, the other word of advice is for us, we were pastors who are listening, um, just preach the gospel unashamedly. 
um, I remember, I think it was you, Jason, you said once, I don't know if it was on the podcast or somewhere else, but like every, every preacher's only got one sermon. <laughs> and, and I've I've thought about that a lot because even, even like I've not preached a whole lot, but at the times that I have, it's like there's definitely a theme. And even now, it's like what is the theme? It's it's like just preach, preach the gospel, call people to repentance in Jesus Christ. I had, I had a, a young man that I mentor once who came out of a out of a service at his at his Bible college, and he says, Curtis, it was horrible. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, they didn't preach the gospel. I I just want to be told that I'm a sinner in, see, in need of a savior. That's all I want to hear every single time, and I think that's that's really what it, what what we need to do is we need to remind people that they're, that they're sinners, and there's nothing you can do about it. But Christ has done it, um, and the fact that there's nothing you can do about it should give you a sense of comfort because Christ has done it for you, and that puts us right back into the catechism, right? What is your comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own but belong body and soul. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Matt Vandenhavel and David Swinney. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.